This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. In Kristen Contino's contemporary novel, A House Full of Windsor, divorced mother Debbie has an obsession with the British royal family, to the point that her hoarding of royal knickknacks leads her grown children to go to desperate measures. Their form of intervention? Convincing her to partake in a reality television show that helps hoarders confront the underlying issues of their mania. By juxtaposing Debbie's voice with that of her eldest daughter, Sarah, Contino reveals the underlying sorrow about a young, hasty marriage and its overriding effects on Sarah and her siblings. Throughout a heartfelt and humorous plot, all the players find a way to heal, move forward, and in the case of the novelist's two heroines, find the love that has eluded them. Kristen and I discuss how she came up with the book's plot, her own love of all things British, and how she found the inspiration to revisit the story after having set it aside. Kristen, I just want to tell you how much I loved this story. It is not a typical quote-unquote rom-com at all. To me, it's more like women's fiction because you've written this beautiful tale of love and loss told through the eyes of both a mother and a daughter. And for the mother, Debbie, the breakup of her marriage to her husband, Alan, who, you know, is a British lord and has also, you know, he owns a group of nightclubs. Her pain drives her to hoarding. As for her daughter, Sarah, it drives her to be the family's peacemaker and to make, to take on the role of being the perfect daughter to the point that it affects her own relationships her jobs, and all facets of her life. So my first question to you is, how did you come up with the concept of hoarding? And do you know any hoarders? So I was watching an episode of Hoarders, maybe unsurprisingly, (laughs) and it was about, you know, obviously all the episodes are about hoarders, but this particular one, there was a mother and daughter, and the daughter was talking about how her life had been impacted in all of these ways growing up with a mom who was a hoarder and, you know, her job, her relationships, everything. And I sat back and was like, that's a really good idea for a book. So I was kind of had that spinning in my head. And I guess I don't even remember when I decided that Debbie would be, you know, a royal fan, a royal um, souvenir collector. But, you know, Josie, you know me. And the royals, so... it's kind of natural, you know, since I'm a royal writer already. And I thought that was kind of a fun twist because, you know, reading about a hoarder could be kind of depressing. I mean, I have read other books um, where characters were hoarders and, you know, you don't want to read about someone with dead animals in their house or, you know, disgusting trash. So this was kind of a more lighthearted theme, if you will. Um, But I also wanted to be able to tie Debbie's story in with Princess Diana's and, you know, 80s London. And I studied abroad in London, actually at the same school where Debbie went. So that was my little shout out to them, um, Bedford College, which is now called Regents University. So a little bit of Debbie is a little bit of me, I should say, is in there with Debbie. But really, the show was how I got the idea and then kind of went from there and made it my own. But I did read uh, a few nonfiction books about hoarding, which was really interesting. And I was partway through writing the book when I found the one and it is called Stuff. And I had already named the show and the book stuff. So I was like, this is a sign. This is a good book for me to read. But if you're at all interested in that topic, I recommend uh, the book stuff because it is fascinating. Wow. 
Well, I love the way you wrapped it in a sort of a pretty bow, but at the same time, the reader could tell that she was way over the top in her, you know, mania for the royal family. And to the point where she actually thinks that her her own breakup of her marriage is like coinciding exactly with what happened with Charles and Diana and um, how this whole thing affects her, her children, who are, you know, essentially, as she finally says, uh, British Americans, which I love that term. So the solution that they find, or it's not really that they were looking for this solution, but because Sarah's younger brother, who's a twin with Anne, he comes up with the idea of putting her on this reality show that you've created. <laughs> and, you know, it's run by, you know, his very handsome boss, Pierce Thompson. And it forces her to face her fears of failure that led to her hoarding in the first place. What was it like to write about an Uber Anglophile. And you being an uber Anglophile yourself, <laughs> I'm sure you were channeling a lot of your own. This is why I loved where I went to school. This is why I love, you know, London and the UK. Yeah, I think part of me thought, well, what would happen if you never left? Because when I was there, and a lot of my friends felt the same way, you know, we were devastated to have to go back to America because we loved it there so much. And, you know, your time is up, you have to go back to school and your regular life. And that was a question I asked myself, well, what if you never left? And of course, her story doesn't really end up so great. Uh, you know, she gets pregnant accidentally and, you know, not, not a happy marriage, but um, yeah, that was definitely a question that I thought about when I was writing it. But yeah, it's it's fun to kind of channel certain things about yourself into characters, even though they might be quite different than you. Like I do have, um, you know, a small royal collection, but I'm not, it's not taken over my whole house. It's kind of in one room. Good. It's not so, Debbie worthy is what you're saying. No, <laughs> she would think you need more, you need more. <laughs> My husband and I were antique shopping the other weekend and I was looking like, do they have any royal stuff? And in my head, I'm thinking, am I becoming Debbie? <laughs> well, I, I'm looking behind you and I see a lot of royal royal stuff, or I should say British alia. <laughs> so, yeah. so it looks really pretty. I like the way you've done well, your, you. your room. Is that your office? Yeah, this is my office. So this is the one room where I have my British stuff if you will. Well, someday I hope you do a walkabout in your own office so we can, so we can enjoy it, you know, as, as your fans as well. Um, the other thing that I feel that you've aptly captured was in Sarah's search for her own perfection. She's pretty much kind of dead-ended herself in a job she's afraid to leave and in how she approaches relationships, which is to be not as open and free as she could be because she's also fearful of what guys she dates, what they will think of her and in reflection of her family. You've really done a deep dive into her psyche as well, which I think is great because you're showing the reader that what your parents do can also affect you. Let's talk about the family dynamic that you built up, both with the twins and Debbie and Alan and with Sarah. So Sarah, when I first started writing the book, I knew I wanted the daughter to be a total opposite of the mother. And 
think about, you know, if your mother was in this situation, would you either, I feel like either those kind of two paths, you would become the same way, or you would do everything in your power to not be like her. So Sarah went on that path where she, you know, she wants to be this etiquette expert and she's, you know, perfectly attired all the time. And, you know, she has all, you know, the right answers on her show and she wants everyone to think she's perfect and that's clearly a coping mechanism and her sister is kind of the same way although in a different sense where she's a stay-at-home mom but she lives in this beautiful home and she has a wealthy husband and she wants to keep up appearances and you know she doesn't want to be on the show because she thinks well what will people in the community think about me and will kind of He's kind of a free spirit, but I think he's also a people pleaser. And you can see how someone could end up that way when everybody is doing their thing and you know trying to be perfect and trying to look a certain way. And I think Will kind of floats in between the two sisters who don't always really get along that well. So I thought it was interesting just in, you know, in my own life or different family relationships or people I know watching sibling dynamics. I just have one sister, but I thought it'd be interesting how, you know, having a twin and then another sibling, how they would all relate to each other. Right, right. I also like the fact that Will has this kind of sad dynamic with Alan, his dad, Mm -hmm. because he is the only boy. I mean, I'm glad you didn't make the twins boy boy. Yeah. And I'm glad you didn't just make one girl, one boy, but that you had this twin dynamic where they always have each other's backs, which I really love. And that there's not the selfishness or the, you know, the jealousness. I didn't get that at all in the book. I got this cohesive, we're all for one and one for all, which I really loved. And the way that they protect their mom, even knowing how devastated she was by the breakup. Yeah. You also did a wonderful job of allowing both Debbie and Alan to share the blame for the destruction of their marriage. And I thought that that was a good move because you don't have like all bad guys, all good guys. Everybody has variation in their personality rainbow, which you don't see a lot of times in in lighter books. But at the same time, that moves this book into a little deeper territory. Um, we all have that situation where people are at cross purposes. They don't They don't talk to each other. And when you quit talking is when you quit finding solutions. So when you went through your own plotting and scheming for this book, was there ever a time when you felt like, oh, I'm going to make somebody really bad or I'm going to, or I really want to see how they can all find their solutions together? So I am very much a pantser. So I don't really do like these details. Shame on you. Shame on you. (laughs) I don't do these detailed like character sketches or, you know, planning ahead of time. I just sit down and start writing a lot of time. This book, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't outline at all. The book I'm working on now, I actually wrote a very detailed outline, which is the first time in my life I've ever done that. And good girl. But this book, no. And my first two books, absolutely. I just sat down and wrote it. So they kind of just told me what they were going to be. That sounds crazy, but I didn't really, you know, go in with any intention of this person's going to be this way, you know, bad or good or whatever. It was just kind of how I guess Ellen ended up being, if that makes sense. Right, right. 
You've also um, done a good job of allowing the show itself to to kind of make Debbie face up to her own issues. And how did you, in your mind, work out, okay, this was going to be a good thing versus a bad thing? Because I could, I could see where that could easily have flipped her over the edge. So you mean at the end when she was kind of coming to grips with... Um... Yeah, she kind of took her... What I liked is she took the initiative not to wait for them to take her to London, but to do it herself. You know, she decided, I'm going to face my fear. And I liked that because she went so deep and so low in having all these other people do things for her. Her children are always doing something for her, trying to make her feel better. It was time for her to do something for herself. And when did you feel like, I need to make her do this at this point? And why? So when I was writing those scenes with, you know, them, she kind of hits her low point when... I don't want to reveal spoilers in the book, but something happens in the book and it just kind of, she's like, why am I even doing this? And um, I thought, you know what? She kind of needs to take off. Like we needed some kind of dramatic event where she disappears. They don't, you know, know where she is. Cause at first I was going to just have her leave and not tell anyone, but I wanted her to take responsibility for her own actions and to show everyone that, you know, she could, make some change on her own because I think the kids even though they were helping her didn't truly believe that maybe she would be able to keep this up in the end you know when the cleaners were gone and the hosts were gone would she still be able to take action herself and make these choices so I wanted to have her make a choice that would show people okay I'm serious you know about getting help and changing wow yeah because, um, you know, at some point, we all reach that point where we just look at our lives and go, what am I doing here? And I want to do something different. And I'm glad she reached that point. Otherwise, to me, it would have been a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Sarah and Pierce, because I know you have them kind of in this dance. It's sort yeah. of like a minuet of, you know, one is pushing and the other one pulling and they're kind of taking their steps slowly but they see what they like and they act on it. And I really felt that that was great. So kudos on you for not necessarily making that the main point of the plot, but to make it sort of a moose boost of the plot. You know, you, you just made it a savory joy. Oh, thank you. Um, so what are you working on next? So I have been working on this book, actually. So I don't know if I even told you this, but I took a break from writing for two years. And I wrote this book and it had gone on submission. It didn't end up selling and I put it away. I was working on this other book that I am about to finish now. And I just kind of hit a wall. Like I thought I needed a break. I'm going to take a break for the rest of the summer. And then the summer became the fall and the fall became the winter. And then another summer came and I still wasn't writing. And I quit RWA. I quit WFW. I mean, everything. And that is very shocking for someone like me because I was so involved and I don't know really what it was. It was just, you know, sometimes you just feel like you're not into it and you need a break. And I figured I would pick it up eventually, but there was a point where I wasn't sure if I would. And in 2019, I went to Scotland and um, it's such a literary place. I mean, you see JK Rowling, all these Harry Potter things there and different artists and writers and I felt like it was kind of a sign for me that I was being called, if you will, not sound cheesy, that 
you know, it, it's time to pick it back up again. Like your break Good. is over. You need to get over this. And so during the pandemic, as many people did, um, not that it's over, but in 2020, I was like, all right, I'm going to look, I'm going to pick up this manuscript again. And Houseful of Windsor was actually called Sarah Says originally. Um, so I picked up Sarah Says and I decided to, you know, make a couple tweaks and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But I totally didn't think five years later that this book would be coming out because, you know, when I first wrote it, it was not right for the market and, you know, how it goes with all that. So it's definitely a pleasant surprise from my 2020, but I just really started working on this other book that, you know, I had started a few years ago again in the past few months. So it's very, very close to done, but it's not, not the same as um, A House Full of Windsor. It's not the same characters or anything. Great, great. But it's contemporary. Yes. Great. I'm glad that you picked up on the fact that the market today is different from the market back then because I think a lot of writers do that they kind of like shelve something for a while and then pick it back up I I I did that with extracurricular it was supposed to be part of a two book deal and then I slid another book in front of it so it kind of became my own again and then of course the uh you know college academic scandals started happening and it was perfect for that so I oh, yeah. went ahead and, and put it out and it was perfect timing but um you know because it added a whole other thing you had the whole um you know the FBI <laughs> component <laughs> of it has kind of made it a whole other thing than just a cheating scandal but I think that that's something that writers should keep in mind don't throw away your your orphans hold on to them and I think you did a beautiful job with how your orphan found a wonderful home and, and it's a wonderful story. Oh, thank you. Kristen Contino's A House Full of Windsor is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. <laughs>